Previously on X-Men. Logan. Wake up, Logan. 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 What? What are you bothering me for? We're almost done decorating for the Beast's birthday party. Yeah? So what about it? Well, did you remember to go and get the cake? Get the cake? I thought I was in charge of cutting the cake. Oh, Wolverine, what are we ever going to do with you? Alright everybody, welcome to episode 117 of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew as always, and I'm once again joined by Stefan. Hello. And this week we have two very special guests. They are Eric Leewald and Julia Leewald. Hey guys. <laughs> they were animators on the X-Men cartoon back in the 90s, and if you're around our age, you guys watched that when you were kids, just like Stefan and I did. And before we get into it, I wanted... I wanted to write something kind of special for this because that was a very special cartoon for me, and um, here it goes. I discovered X-Men through Fox Kids Saturday morning. There's a huge block of entertainment starting with the likes of Eek the Cat and the Terrible Thunder Lizards, and it ended with the best of them all, X-Men. X-Men took itself seriously, and I think I gravitated towards that even as a kid. I liked watching the unfolding drama of the mutants versus humans, and of course, mutants versus mutants. I was a child that watched this cartoon that had evolution as a major origin plot point for all the mutants on Saturday, and then I went to church on Sundays. Watching the show was one of the first things that really got me thinking about evolution and science and religion. It was also the first show to really be postmodern superhero in the sense that many of the people in the show that had powers didn't like having them. They wanted to just be normal. I actually had a hard time with that because I always thought having powers would be so cool. Nevertheless, this only added to the gravitas of an already fairly heavy Saturday morning cartoon. To this day, Superhouse Podcast has recorded hours of conversations concerning the X-Men, and hopefully we will record many more. From the bottom of Superhouse's hearts, we thank you, Eric and Julia Leewald, for coming on to our show. Well, Andrew, we're, we're, we're honored to be here. We really oh are. <laughs> Bust out in tears Yeah, here. you get, get, get her tearing up on the misty eye over here. Thank you. Thank you very we, much We, we appreciate that. it. We, yeah. we, we really... Uh, uh, it was it was a special time for us, and it was it was the, it was the best. We've been involved in about forty different shows out here in, in LA, and it was the best one we ever worked on. That's that's awesome. Stefan and I were both born in '84, so that put us right at the time, like the yeah. perfect time to be watching that show. You were the target demographic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were writing yeah. for you. Direct hit. Direct hit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like I said in the intro, we we have a couple episodes earlier on where we didn't like monitor our time so much, and we talked for hours about X Men on and on and on, and like, uh, it's just like the whole crew really gets goes crazy over X Men. So yeah. it's 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 awesome. So let's just go. Let's just dive straight into the interview. Um, let's just start from your beginning. Where are you from? Where are you both from originally? Well, funny you should ask that because everyone in California came from somewhere else, but uh, we're here now in the Los Angeles area. But I, I was born in Wisconsin and grew up in Texas. 
and okay. uh, and Eric's story is yeah. And I actually I was actually born in Atlanta and grew up first in Minnesota, then in mostly in Tennessee. So oh, she's nice. she's out here from Texas. I'm out here from Tennessee, and we're making sense out of being a California family with two California kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, what were some of your favorite cartoons or animated movies when you were growing up? Oh gosh! Oh, uh, the 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 classic Warner cartoons, of course, they were great. They'd be on every Saturday morning. We'd have a, like a Bugs Bunny hour, and then uh, Bullwinkle. I love Bullwinkle. I mean, it was so it was a really adult show. People don't get it because it's such you know cheaply drawn, but it was it was beautifully written. So those are a couple actually. Of all things, uh, I, I talked to the producer director on the art side of X Men, and he had the same feeling. We both had a had a soft spot for Johnny Quest. Oh, That's nice! How, so yeah. old I am. It was like 1964, 65, and so I was a little kid at that time, and it just it grabbed me. The action on that got got me. And then one of the things when Eric and I met uh, and, and sort of found each other is we were both um, just sucked into the original star trek when we were both very young oh nice that yeah. was one of those things you know we could talk star trek to each other yeah, yeah we, we could <laughs> out with, with uh, outdoing each other with memorized star trek dialogue yeah they're both very similar aren't they yeah uh, star trek in a lot of oh, ways oh big yeah stories, big stories you're, you're right oh, yeah ser serious and hopeful and diplomatic kind of like and, yeah thinking. <laughs> character focused and we 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 really we went back to it a lot the other two of the main guys that wrote on the show with us and we that was that was our position i was the in charge of the writing on the show when julie was a writer but two of the other guys our main guys are two of my buddies from college from tennessee and they were both big star trek fans as well so so yeah. there are influences there for sure so star trek original series had some influence on x-men uh, 90s, 90. Do you call it X Men 92 now? X Men the Animated Series. Actually, we shorthand for us is X Men TAS, yeah. which okay. is just X Men the Animated yeah. Series. Yeah. Okay. So that's how we that's how we distinguish it. So yeah, I had some of that, and and also uh, kind of just heroic movies. You know, uh, uh, tough westerns, uh, war movies, historical dramas, stuff that well, there's a lot at stake, and that's where we we really thought we thought it was a great opportunity to do X Men and make sure that we pointed out that these were a bunch of super powered adults and that there were thousands of lives at stake. And we wanted to make sure that they weren't just playing at it, that it was real. And right. that we wanted to do that from the beginning. And there was a lot of resistance because there hadn't been really uh, a, uh, an animated show, like a cartoon like that. Most of them were, you know, asked to be written down to the kids and not really scare them or not really have, have real consequences and we just said screw that and and wanted and luckily the the network that that, that hired us to do this they even pushed us they said, oh yeah do that and push it even farther so everybody was on agreement for this for this one show it just it it, it fit everything went together cool what well, i heard i've heard stories that it, it was kind of predicted to not be that big oh guys Oh, Boy, did you hear yeah. correctly? If, if you think about it, <laughs> this is so weird to think about. But you guys look back, 1992. There had been no, there had been no Marvel movies. Period. Zero. Right. And the TV shows that the people out here tried to do really weren't didn't fit the books very well. They were silly. They'd have the thing goes camping. Yeah, yeah. It was it. It there hadn't been success, 
And there was a big fight. The lady that got this on, Margaret Lesh, had tried for eight or nine years to get the X-Men on TV. And people said, no, it's just a few geeks in their basements. Nobody will watch this. <laughs> uh, never, you know, never a big enough audience. And so we were one of the weird things. We were all, all the talent was, or, you know, creative people were hired just for the first 13, for the first season. And then we were let go because they just thought, well, this isn't going to do anything. And, and having worked on it, it's like, well, it'd be nice if it hit, but you know, on to the next project. Hopefully, there's other work and, out there. And then people saw the sneak preview and went crazy for it, and the rest is history. But during the six, six, seven months that we were working on it, before we actually had a, an episode to show somebody, all sorts of people just, oh no, this is terrible. What's all this serious adult stuff? Advertisers, local television networks were saying. I, I can't show this, you know, no child can follow all this adult going on. What are these sophisticated stories? So the lady at Fox uh, just said, you wait, you wait. And, <laughs> and she made him, she made him take it and she put her, her, her job on the line. Her boss said, wow. I don't see it either. I don't see this working, but if you believe in it, we'll do it. And if it fails, you're fired. So she, she actually had that much at stake in the show. Jesus. Wow. So she really believed. Oh, yeah. She, she And she believed so wholeheartedly to her credit when, because animation, there's a lag time. You write something as a writer, it gets handed off to the artist, they do their work, then it gets sent overseas typically to, to be animated, and then it comes back. It's a very long process. And my writing work was done well in advance of the first delivery of anything that Eric on the, uh, the showrunner side, that anything came back. And it was scheduled to coincide with, uh, to go on air with Batman the Animated Series. In they September. were going to be a, oh, yeah, yeah. A, a pairing, you know, and a one-two punch for Fox Kids. Mm -hmm. First animation came back and- it, Oh, it was awful. It was so <laughs> astonishingly dreadful. It's like, we <laughs> wow. can't air this. It's not that yeah. we could, and she, we can't air and, this. And this woman believed so much in the show that she said, this isn't going on the air until it's right. I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call all the television that, uh, affiliates on the, the Fox network and tell them they're going to run reruns for three and a half months while we get this straight. And in making lemonade out of lemons, because she was her job was on the line because they had all signed up for a September delivery. Right. She was wow. able to put together enough footage with the first first episode, not of the Sentinels. For a sneak preview and, and, on Halloween. And pitched it to them as, no, no, here's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll play a special sneak preview on Halloween night, which I personally thought was going to fail because it's Halloween. What kid's inside watching TV? <laughs> Us. She, yeah, yeah. She's saying no. Look, we'll we'll start here, and then it will be ready in January. And we'll premiere it in the middle of the season when everybody else is in reruns. And Everyone she was right. And this will be fresh, and it went through the roof. But it was, again, it had it was never num been done number before. number one in about three four weeks. And no, just what? Stayed I think there. I remember that. I remember watching the first episode a lot, and then the rest <laughs> yeah, of the show yeah. came. Now that you mention it, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it wasn't because we we loved it so much. It was because the other stuff wasn't ready. Yeah, sorry about that. But that's, 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 that's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. So <clears throat> was it like a hit immediately or did it take a bit to catch on? Because I, I knew I liked it from the get-go, but I, it was hard to tell because I was in elementary school, so yeah. I, I couldn't tell exactly. It was a hit right away. We'll give you an example. They had that preview on uh, Halloween. Halloween. 1992. And then... Fox had a promotion with their Fox Kids Club that said, okay, we're going to have a special showing in uh, in Thanksgiving. Oh, kids take over the network. Kids take over the network. You get to choose what show we show a special 
show of in, in, uh, in primetime and Thanksgiving. And it came back. X-Men got more votes than all their other shows put together. Whoa. And, wow. But they and, only had the first episode. They only had the first episode. <laughs> yeah, but that shows how immediate the, the love for it was. That was great. And it astonished me looking back because in 1992, if you wanted to get the kids votes, they had to get a postcard and a stamp and write it into the network. And yes. they did. They did. There were Bag, bags full. Yeah. of mail. Really? <laughs> wow. box, which was yeah. really it's, it's weird, guys. This is before the web. Web started yeah. about, about about the time we started. Yeah. So this right. was before anybody could send any was connected on online. What What do you think was it about the show that 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 made it hit? Because I mean, I have my own reasons, and maybe they're the same. But I was wondering what you thought. What What made it a hit show? You think? Well, that's a good question. Um, part of it is. This is right at the cusp of the beginning of what became the superhero kind of explosion. And uh, to be honest, in 92, when Eric got the call and I got the opportunity to work on the show with him for a little bit, I hadn't really, I couldn't tell you more than, I couldn't name more than two X-Men yeah, off right. the top of my head. Yeah, we were new to it. I was aware that Marvel had this property, but I, DC, Superman, DC, Batman, I knew those characters. I didn't know the X-Men. I, I think there was a couple of things you talked about before that we took it, we took the character seriously. And for the comic book people, that was, that was huge. But I think for, even for the little kids, the fact that all of this, that all these people, it was like a, a dysfunctional family thrown together, a bunch of foster children in their 30s, really, but a bunch of foster adults thrown together, who yeah. all of whom felt unappreciated and left out. And there's nothing, you know, kids feel less, you know, more like you know, I'm, I'm unappreciated, I'm left out, I'm different. Um, and here you had this guy, Professor Xavier, saying, no, we're going to give you a home. No, we're going to we're going to make the rest of the world understand you if you'll just be patient and work with me. And then in the middle of that, you have all these big fights and explosions and and fast paced color and everything. We, so I think part of it was this a little bit was a spectacle, but I think it was mostly the stories because the spectacle is in a bunch of other shows. And I don't think this the, the serious adult stories are so much in other shows. I think people were drawn to it for the spectacle and little kids could appreciate the spectacle, but that for the older viewers from about 11 on up through adult, they appreciated the fact that these people were having real lives and real problems and real emotions and, and real stories amidst just, but they happened to run around in colored out, colorful outfits and have massive battles while they were having those stories. So that, I think that was the, the mixture that worked. Yeah, I, I think for me, even even when I was a kid, I could kind of tell I was I liked it because it was it just seemed a little bit heavier than everything else. And I was like maybe heading towards my preteens. I can't remember my exact age, but I was just like kind of ready for that, I guess. And um, just like it, maybe it had like the soap opera effect, soap opera for t young teenagers or something or, or or kids. But it was just like. God, it had like the best like previous on, on X Men. You know, like, <laughs> oh my God, the no show was ever even gotten a better previously on than that show to this day. You know, like <laughs> jumping in here on that uh, X Men the animated series was at least as far as our research has indicated the first one to do that. Yeah, I mean, Bullwinkle did it a little bit. They were like old radio dramas. They were they were They had some continuous stuff going, but again, in a much smaller space but yeah as far as modern day cartoons and modern day storytelling we had to push for that they they didn't want to do it they 
And they kind of had good reason. They said, look, if, if episode four comes back from overseas and it doesn't work, we can't show episode five. Guys, you know, don't, don't do this. The, <laughs> the, the guy, Will Minio, who was the uh, head producer, designed the show, wonderful guy, uh, he pushed that through. He pushed a lot of the smart, creative choices through mm-hmm. with the network and said, Cartoon, uh, comic books work this way. You know, they'll go on for mm-hmm. 15, 20 issues with a continuing story, and the people are hooked, and they want to get the next month and the next month and the next month. And it works that way for them. It will work that way for us. Please let us do it. And they let us do it the first year, less the following years. It was more, in those years, we had to do more standalones and uh, multi parters. But oh, really? that first season, they let us do one through 13 as a con- connected story. And I have to jump in here. Uh, there's an there's an unheralded hero in all this, and it's Sharon Janice. And she oh, yeah. was the gal who was the editor on this. Okay. And you think, okay, fine, groovy. But she was the one who took it to the money people and said, look, if you let me do a previously on X-Men you know, 10 to 20 second recap, that's less animation for you to have to pay for that's new because I'm using old footage. And that got their attention. They said, oh, <laughs> we can pay for less. Yeah, yeah but also it, it helped with you know, the network was really worried. So we've got nine main characters, got all sorts of guest villains. You got all this whole world that's complicated. And remember, 90% of the audience weren't going to know what, who the X-Men were. So we had to keep it all straight. And telling them that we would do a previously on at the beginning made them feel a little more comfortable mm-hmm. that kids wouldn't quote unquote get completely lost in this show that was too sophisticated that too much was going on and of course they didn't you know kids are a lot smarter than people give them credit for and they followed everything fine you guys what you guys weren't freaked out like you didn't forget who any everybody was no. <laughs> you know no. we get all these notes yeah it, it was like Go our ahead. favorite show at the time yeah. i mean it was that and batman the anime series like at the top of that time period and like i don't know man it's just what were you gonna say stefan i was gonna say that um you have your favorite characters you know what i mean like it was like there couldn't be enough characters to fall in love with <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. and it's like yeah to underestimate kids or anybody in that way you know it, it takes a lot of the fun out of what ultimately could be and again like another parallel with star trek you know everybody's got their favorites uh within the yeah. motley crew they all have their strength. They all have their weaknesses. Exactly. And, and, and that's what makes a team work. You know, that's there you go. Uh, like we don't that's get enough exactly of that. It. Yeah. And uh, a point was made earlier about, uh, I think, Andrew, you mentioned, gosh, you know, would, who wouldn't want to have superhero powers? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but in this, the particular genius, I think, was with this particular group of X-Men, because there had been 30 years of books up until Eric got tapped to go in and help get the show on its feet. This particular team, if you took any one of any two of the mutants and you switched their powers out, they'd be fine. And I use Rogue and Wolverine as an example. If Rogue had Wolverine's powers, she'd be happy because she could touch people. She could keep her claws retracted. She'd be strong. She'd be happy. And Wolverine, if he couldn't touch anybody, he wouldn't care. He'd just go run around the woods and be broody. But the things <laughs> they had kept them. For, you know, it yeah. was a true internal conflict. Everyone in that show had a genuine reason yeah. to, to yeah. have an issue. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a real problem when I first looked at this to try to make up the stories. I thought, you got, you got eight, nine super beings. How do you challenge them? How do you make them vulnerable? How do you, how do you make the audience worry about them? And so we, that's one reason I and the, the rest of the writers focused so hard on their personal vulnerabilities because so that it was – Becoming a Wolverine getting his heart broken, 
or them being emotionally crushed or uh, Storm freaking out because she couldn't control her her powers. Finding finding vulnerabilities in these super powerful heroes so that we'd have somebody to care about and worry about and 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 think might not make it through the through the episode. And that was that was one reason I think we focus so much on all the emotional drama because you know you can't you can't kill rogue i mean what are you gonna do <laughs> just, just she's just gonna beat up everybody so it, it that was i, I think it, it gave us uh it, it gave us a focus for our storytelling and a quick thing also with the x-men and you guys being the target demographic that uh, it just happened that the the bit of genius in, in the x-men themselves was everybody gets born but you don't find out you're a mutant until you kind of go through puberty. And yeah, then if you're a mutant, yeah. it shows up. And if you aren't, it doesn't show up. But that's kind of when it happens. And everybody is either facing puberty or is going through it or has gone through it. And, <laughs> and we are all mutants at that point. Good, bad, or indifferent. And the fact that this show, that, that these stories took that and were able to play on everybody's worst fears in that we all become other, you know, uh, and, and X-Men just sort of writ large, you know, yeah. that, that conflict about how we all change yeah. and how society views us. Yeah. It, it's weird looking back on it now. Cause I, I remember I like, I had a bunch of those like X-Men cards back in the nineties and oh. I put them all on this, like yeah. uh, this book, this scrapbook thing or whatever. And I brought them to school once tried to hide it most of the time. And then some people found out about it. And the next day they were making fun of me and I lied and I said, they, oh, they were, they were sports cards. They weren't. <laughs> it's, just, it's a different yes. time then because uh, yes. you had to basically yes. hide how, how nerdy you were. And now you got, I don't think that's even the case anymore with all the Marvel movies being so popular. But man, it was like just a different time with that stuff back then. Yeah. They you, are right. you are right. You are right. And I bring this up before, but the idea that in 1992 through 1997, the whole connectivity of people, the whole internet of people didn't exist. And if you were the kid who took the uh, binder full of cards to school and there wasn't anybody else there to sort of share that with you, there was no way to find anybody else to share that with. Yeah. Yeah. Either. You, know, you couldn't go online yeah. and find, you know, find anybody else. It could be very, very isolating. You know, and I think a lot of us have experienced that. Yeah. And it's weird. It's like it, like it, it, it almost like compacts it in a way because you're, you're, you're like this. Uh, you start to feel like a social outcast a little bit more because of this nerdy stuff that you like, and then you start liking the nerdy stuff more because all the characters are outcasts, <laughs> like they are in the X Men. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it builds on itself. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like Stan Lee really knew his, <laughs> oh. really knew his audience. Yeah, he, they cho they chose right for this one. Believe yep. me, we've we've had opportunities to work on on lots of other shows and even other superhero shows or other Marvel shows, and this is the one that's the most you know uh, has has the best is the ripest for storytelling. There's just the, the the material there is pretty much endless as far as I'm concerned. Cool, awesome. So you said you weren't you weren't really all that familiar with X Men before stepping onto the show. No, no, I wasn't, and and a part of the writing staff wasn't. There were people involved. The two guys on the on the art side, Will Minio and Larry Houston, who was producer director, and was in charge of all the storyboards and all the artists. He picked all the artists. I picked the writers. Larry picked the artists, and nice. Larry and his artists knew X Men backwards and forward. Larry was a was an encyclopedia, and so we had that, and we had Marvel. 
uh, as to, to, to call up, you know, to make sure that we were telling the stories right. But from my point of view, again, I loved heroic storytelling, but I got the call literally the night before we're having a meeting with Stan Lee and Haim Saban and everybody was going to be making the show. I had, I, I just knew that there might be a show for me at Fox. I didn't even know what it was. And like 10 PM that night, I get a call saying it's going to be the X-Men and everybody's meeting 10 AM tomorrow morning. And I say, that's a Marvel book, right? (laughs) (laughs) I did. I couldn't have named two of them. And I had to just sit through the meeting for two hours, nodding, and then they finally looked at me, okay, so you're going to write up this whole world for us, right? You can have that for us <laughs> quick. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, anything. And, and I, lear- I, I learned real quick. You know, I had those, uh-huh. those friends, but also there's this great thing called Marvel Universe, uh, this Marvel Universe book that had everybody's, came out about 88, everybody's relationship to everybody, who hated who, who was the a forgotten cousin of who, all the, the soap opera stuff and all the power stuff. And I just, you know, I just spent three days, me- you know, memorizing it. So because I wasn't, there was no internet. There was yeah, no way to go. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go. Yeah, it was like Wikipedia, but, uh, you know, a bound Wikipedia. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I, I bought a few old issues, but, uh, you know, there was no way to, 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 so that, that was my, that was my crutch, you know, to, to learn the characters. And we just, we just ended up the first season writing what we thought were the coolest stories for these characters and with the exception of the one julia worked on days of future past there really weren't you know we picked elements from stuff they'd done every chance we got we choose chose something that appeared at least like in a page somewhere in a book but we weren't looking to really adapt specific issues we were just looking to use the characters in the shows we thought would be the most intense for them and sometimes they uh, there was a lot of stuff in the book. Sometimes there wasn't much to to, to, to fill that story, but that's that's how we approached it. it, it Claremont seems to be a, the big influence here, or or was or, absolutely or, yeah. yeah right? After after seventy three, if you look back, and I hadn't didn't have the time to to kind of distinguish who wrote what, but at the time, you know, I look back on it and looked like eighty ninety percent of the stuff that we picked was from his era, and. We got uh, speaking of that era. We got to know Len Wein, who wrote a bunch of episodes for me, cool. uh, who was just wonderful. Who was considered the father of so many. Yeah, characters. and and if you, you know, if you'll, it, there's a long interview with him in our book uh, uh, about the show, and he'll tell you he was in '74. X Men had been dead for four and a half years, and he got picked. Uh, he was told, We're, "It looks like we may restart them." And can you come up with a bunch of new characters, you know, for a new X-Men team? And that's why he made Wolverine Canadian is oh, because wow. he was told we're, these are going to be instead of an American team, which the 60s one was basically a bunch of American kids. And to my mind, the stories weren't as, nearly as, as, as deep as during the Claremont era. So Len was told you're going to come up with characters from all over the, 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 the globe. And so that's why I said, OK, I'm writing this this guest character for a Hulk magazine. I'm gonna, I'll make Wolverine Canadian. And that's why Wolverine's Canadians, because he was told he was about to have to come up with kind of a UN version uh, of the X-Men. And wow. he he was hired to run the, the comics for the first two episodes, for the first two issues, when it came back in 75. And then he was asked suddenly, oh, you're gonna, let's, we need to make you editor in chief. He said, oh damn, well, who do I hand this off to? And as he said, 
Claremont evidently was there in the room waving his hand saying, let me, let me. <laughs> and so that's how, that's how Chris Claremont got started in it is that Wolverine, uh, Wolverine, well, Jesus, yeah. Len Wein got kicked upstairs. He was picked to originally run the, the book in the seventies, but in the mid seventies, but he got kicked upstairs to be editor in chief and Chris took over. So that's, uh, um, I got, we got to know Len really well. He just unfortunately passed this past fall and we miss him a lot. A real loss. Yeah. He's yeah. a great guy. Yes. And I was truly. at a few conventions with him. I never really met him formally, but I did see, I see him in person a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Just the nicest guy. And, and really X, where we are now with X-Men, it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been there at that critical moment. And he created Wolverine, Storm, Storm, Colossus, Colossus, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. It just goes on. They are his. They are the ones that he came up with. Yeah, and so we can't we can't pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. So so yeah, we 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 owe those those folks a lot because when we wanted to do these, we wanted these dead serious stories, even though we didn't know the books that well. We saw what was the best parts of the book, which we books which we thought was that era, and and we we said look it's in the books you, you you paid to have the show on tv at least let us try to write as seriously as in the best of the books and so we were able to hold them up as as kind of i don't know uh uh blackmail say <laughs> why, I mean, why why can't we do this and they said well sure absolutely run with it so so because the books existed we were able to do a show as cool as we we, we were able to do that, that's awesome. And and wasn't like Gambit created because somebody wanted an act, just that accent? Like, hey, make a, make a guy with a Cajun accent. Isn't that how that happened as well? Do you, I, I can't verify that, but that sounds right. That's, that sounds right. <laughs> we we, uh, we uh, uh, were told when we were putting the, the team together, um, there were a couple, there were a few that were just obvious, like uh, Professor Xavier and and Scott and Gene and, and uh, Wolverine. But not even Gene, I mean, when we're putting the team together, I think Gene and Beast weren't even listed as the top as the lead team, and so that was the, one of the fun parts. Was as we're writing the stories, watching who worked well, who mm -hmm. fit, and who played well off of the other characters. Gambit and uh, was somebody that they just come up with like that year and said mm -hmm. they wanted to feature him, and he was different and that we on the writing side said, look, we just want eight really different people to work for Xavier. We don't, uh, you know, you, we didn't have an agenda. We didn't pick, you know, Wolverine over Colossus, over Cable, over, you know, whoever. We just didn't want six gruff guys. Yeah, we, wanted, yeah, yeah. We, we wanted as different a group of people as we could find. And uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the Cajun Gambit fit, fit in that. And he was new, and so Marvel said, "Please put him in because we're pushing his comic. It's a new comic. Can you can you use him?" We said, "Sure." So that was that was as much as we heard about why he was there. But he just he was new. I mean, he was he was one of my favorites. I don't think he was my top, but he was definitely up there. That accent. Do you know anything about the voice actor? Was that like a real accent, or I'm not from that area, so I can't really tell. Yeah, we're, we're none of us from down there. The astounding thing, guys, is is that the entire cast was Canadian. Oh, my God. So okay. Rogue, Rogue, who's supposed to be from Georgia and didn't do a bad job of it. Uh, yeah, it, not bad. Is, yeah. Uh, 
and 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 the, the Cajun everybody they're all Canucks and there was <laughs> it was it was frustrating for us because we were writing out here in LA and we couldn't be there during the recordings. We, we just, were recording on Toronto. In Toronto, we just we we get cassettes, the audio cassettes of them, and listen and give notes. But we couldn't be there while it was happening. But the good part was is that it became this thing in Toronto, like all the best actors in the city wanted to be part of it. <laughs> that's and, awesome. And that's how we got this top neck notch, like theater people from Toronto cast. Um, so yeah, I, the guy that played uh, Gambit, Chris Potter, actually came down here and was on a soap opera for a while. Yeah. But they all they they all they all sound like like Canadians when you talk to them on the phone. Oh, can I do a quick callback here <laughs> yeah. though? We we mentioned Star Trek earlier. Oh yeah. And we can't pass this by without the realization. Sadly, it came after after there was a chance to do anything about it. But the the brilliant voice actor who gave us all what, what I think is the the definitive apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John Colicos is his name. And we weren't able to interview him for the book because he passed in 07. Oh, man. But he was, get this, this is how much, and we didn't know at the time, <laughs> this, is, this is how much it tears our hearts out to find us. He was the very first Klingon on oh, wow. Star Trek. Whoa. Mm-hmm. He, he and Kirk are, are fighting each other. Balance of terror, I think it balance, is. Yeah. And, and, he, uh, it, it, and so the same man, same voice, the, who who was going to make Spock's mind a vegetable no. uh, with, with his brain yeah. scanner? Yeah. So this is 1967. That that wow. I'm I'm a little kid and I'm hooked on this and I can't say vegetable the same way <laughs> for my entire life because of this actor. And he ends up being our apocalypse. Oh, uh, I remember that too, man. From the ashes of their world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do it, Stefan. Do it. <laughs> From the ashes of their world, we shall build a better one. <laughs> Did he say yeah. the age of apocalypse? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 The rocks of the eternal shore. <laughs> Crash upon me. Yeah. Yeah. Again, those are the voices we, I promise you, those are the voices 90% of us here in our heads are the voice talent we had on X-Men the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. so when you think of it, read the books or, yeah. or see an image. And, and they set it up to Toronto, they set up Canada to save money. Yep. I mean, it's, that, <laughs> it's typical, you know, we, we had a, kind of a mod budget. And so they picked Canada because it was, the prices were cheaper. But the great thing was, as I say, we got, we got our pick of, of the best people and it turned out great. Toronto was a big theater town, is a big theater town, and a lot of crazy talented actors there doing theater and were able to be tapped to do the show. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. What was great for us, too, was that for a long time, even maybe up until now, they were did the voices for the video games, too. And I was yes. a fighting game fan, so the Marvel versus Capcom, the X-Men versus Street Fighter, all that, it was like, mm-hmm. I, get, I already love Street Fighter. Then they were geniuses enough to put that in the same thing, and they had the same voices from the show that I loved. Yeah. So, like when Rogue did a move, she was like, "Come here, sugar," you know, shit like that. <laughs> and it was, it was just great. It was just like, this is like the, it was like the greatest thing. And like, you know, Wolverine also like, "Come here, bub," or whatever. It was just, it was just great having having that as a kid. Basically, I played that on Sega Saturn so much. Yeah. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, who are you two guys? Uh, your favorite X Men character? Let's go there. 
Well, I'll get to jump in here as, as one of the, I got to write for the show and I also got to kind of be a fly on the wall while Eric was handling all the heavy lifting for the entire series run. But the character who popped out to me as a writer that I just loved writing for and got my own girl crush on anyway was Dear Beast. I mean, my God, he was, <laughs> he was the smartest guy in the room, perhaps except next to Charles Xavier. Stars but he had that rock. damaged poet soul and just, and what I loved was he was the most comfortable in, with his own particular mutancy, but he couldn't walk down a street and not have people react to his appearance. But, and that was, I thought such a, we had fun playing with that in an episode called Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the idea of yeah. what would happen if he, if he actually could find love and, and how that would work out. Yeah. Julie came up with the, with the, with the story idea for that and a dear friend of hers ended up writing it. Uh, yeah, be, yeah, Beast is great. That that contradiction that he's become comfortable with his mutancy, yet he can never pass. Yeah, and and it, it hit him hard when when he realized somebody might care for him. So that was that was a cool episode. And uh, fun aside, here it was in the Eric was it the pilot episode that a book of uh, Bartlett's quotations that oh, we yeah. had here in our home office, and there was a call to action for Beast in the first episode when he's going to have to jump over some laser lights to break into the yeah, and, center. And we thought, don't say, you know, let's kick ass or Kawabanga or something. We thought, well, Beast, so so erudite and well-read, he'd quote some obscure poet. And so we just did that as a, as a lark in the pilot. And people liked it. And, and it was a minor poet for a minor obstacle. Yeah, a minor poet for minor, some obscure guy. It's the only time this poet's ever been quoted anywhere <laughs> in 200 years. And, and so we ended up doing like 17, 20. You know, like every other episode, we'd have Beast do a throw a quote in like that. And it became a fun thing for the writers. It became a challenge. Okay, where, how are you going to work in a Beast quote? Okay, come on. Oh, and the whole series just clicked together like, a beautiful box in the final episode with Charles Xavier oh. and Beast, and he's having his bedside farewells uh, to. Uh, he's to dying, and he's quoting Shakespeare to, to Beast. Yeah, I still choke up when I see that yeah. again. Yeah. Very Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> True. Yeah. Have you ever read yeah. William yeah. Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh, and I on, vote Beast on my on my side. It's it's pretty transparent. I mean, most most people love Wolverine best. Most of the writers liked writing for him best, but because I was had to be kind of the father, the daddy figure on in the on the crew as far as supervising all the other writers and trying to keep all the storytelling, you know, to, that fit the same tone. He was hurting cats. Yeah, basically. yeah. I would. Uh, I, I felt great sympathy for Charles Xavier, so he was my favorite character as the the, the daddy. Of, of the family. Nice. Stefan. Can I point? Oh, I just oh, want to yeah. jump in. Yeah. As, as a gal, as a woman, and as a writer, and this is 1992, I just want to point out how, and it shouldn't have been, but it was revolutionary that a team of this team, you, ha you ended up by default, you had four guys and four girls. And it wasn't because there was an edict coming down saying, you know, have, yeah. as Eric says, yeah have the seven Smurfs, you know, one, six Smurfs and one Smurfette, you know, where it's always mm -hmm. the girl. It's like, no, these, the ones you picked, you picked because they were the most interesting characters and but it the, turned out that's, four that's women and four men. Yeah. So, and oh. the women were stronger. <laughs> and they could fly. Don't get her started. Get started. <laughs> go, go ahead, Stefan. Go ahead, Stefan. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, I didn't have uh, anything prepared. <laughs> 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 I was listening quite intently to you both 
Um, no, I was going to ask you. I was going to just so oh, we, let's yeah. all go around. What's your who is your favorite again? Your favorite X Men character? Stefan. Yeah, since we're all. Oh, mine. If we're talking the cartoon, I'm gonna have to say. You know, I Wolverine is like I think an obvious one. Like everybody loves Wolverine, but I really, I really feel for Cyclops and his role, like kind of the boy. He's like he's like the Leonardo of the group, but Leonardo still gets the respect of his brothers, and Cyclops has to fight so hard to like maintain both his own integrity as well as his his like. Um, what's the word his like tutelage to professor x as well as like being able to keep these people from dying so he's like a military leader in a lot of ways but yes. he you know he started as just a kid and and the adventures back in the day were like let's get these you know nobody else has powers all we have is bullets like get these kids in here to like wreck shop but now the problems have like compounded over that um and cyclops to me was always like one of the most tormented and i, I really liked that he did his damnedest to deal with it, no matter what. I think you're right. He, he often gets sort of um, uh, painted with a broad brush. Oh, he's such a Boy Scout. Nothing right. wrong with being a Boy Scout. Yeah. Uh, you need that. Boy Scout. For, yeah. People depended on him to be that. And, and he yeah. had to make some incredibly hard decisions. And he made them with to the best of his ability. And you know, they were, he, he never took it casually. It was. It, and he never complained. Never right? complained. Yeah. yeah. And he wasn't afraid to lay down the law. Right. He wasn't afraid go. to speak his mind, even though he was up against other mutants that were so much stronger than him in a lot of ways. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Wolverine is kind of a bully in that way. Yeah, yes, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and testing him, but he never, like, lost his composure. And I think ultimately Wolverine respected him for that. Oh, he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was very important yeah. uh, that, that that came across. And that was just so cool to be able yeah. to focus on the conflicts among these yeah. people that they wanted to punch each other, but <laughs> at the same time, they loved each other and respected each other and had each other's back. Yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah, I was I was the oldest of three brothers, so <laughs> I, was, I was already a fan of Leonardo just because of the leadership thing there, I guess. And then and and then X Men comes along, and then Cyclops was easily my favorite character. Although I would say I would say Nightcrawler actually was a good second because he mm. had the whole. I'm not religious now, but I grew up in a religious environment in the South, Alabama and Georgia. And to have a show that's talking about evolution left and right. And then you got this Catholic guy and he he's Catholic, but then also it looks like a demon. Yeah. How does this guy handle that? And then there was that episode where he, it's, I can't remember the exact specifics, but it's, he's talking with Logan about religion to a certain extent, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh it yeah, it's a, a whole deal episode back then, right? Getting that one. Yeah, yeah. We together. we had we had to talk for about a month with the, the network about that because we wanted to do. We I, I basically it came from me looking up Nightcrawler who I hadn't used before, and just the three sentence description said he's devout, and I thought oh, this is so cool. We've got a, a religious, the only religious character in this whole show, and we looked at other students. Excuse me. Other kid shows they they wouldn't touch religion with a ten foot pole. Twenty foot pole. And so, so we had to gently ask, can we have an episode about God and faith? And believe me, at first it was ah, there was some freaking out with you know this the censor, the lady that had who was wonderful by the way, who was very thoughtful. A woman named Avery Coburn. We yeah. owe her a lot. Yeah, because she, she had to okay every detail of these shows. Mm -hmm. If she did, if if she didn't like it. It wasn't in the show. She had absolute power over us. 
And I talked it through with her and she said, okay, you, you built a couple seasons of trust with me. I know you'll handle this well. So they let us try. And then, yeah, we had, we've, and we, we wrote like the, the, the guy that I chose, I cast to, to write it, who was very serious about faith and kind of a questioning way sometimes, but very serious about it. We wrote a, the short version of a, a detailed premise for the show and the network actually came back and said, make it even more about religion. Guys, don't, now that we've decided to do this, don't hold back, go all the way. So uh, that's, so we just focused on it and we picked Wolverine because we thought if you've got a character with face, who is this going to piss off the most? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wolverine's 95 years old. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's angry at the world. He's seen it all. He doesn't want to hear all this goody two shoes Christian crap. He's going to be the most upset by this. And if we, if, if, if a, a religious person can touch him, then we made a good episode. And that was what the whole episode was about. Yeah. Can I jump in here? Quick, yeah, quick side note here. Yeah. Uh, the job Eric had wrote X-Men the Animated Series was uh, working a story in season of uh, Beetlejuice. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, apparently um, Beetlejuice uh, got a lot more nasty letters from uh, folks. Angry parents. Angry parents because dealing with the netherworld the other, oh, they, yeah. a demon from the underworld yeah. i love that show though i love that one as well <laughs> but, but so when, when facing God. the issues on nightcrawler you know and it, you'd already kind of been through the ringer on that and then decision to well let's let's look at this like grown-ups might look at this and it's not that wolverine finds God. It's that Wolverine is offered the option of examining religion. And I, I don't think I've seen an episode in, in any kind of show that sort of had that kind of, um, yeah, issue. it's like he made, he helped to make him think, but it wasn't think. overly preachy because right. He didn't yeah. really convert or anything like that. Uh -huh. And also it kind of felt like it really did feel like in that, in the story that you guys were telling that, Nightcaller was kind of the only religious person that they were coming across, really. So it was, it was kind of like an island. So if he if he's like the only one, it's just it's just like okay, what am I trying to say here? It's just it's like, like the uniqueness of that character, maybe. Yeah, like oh, that's that's just him. That's not the whole yeah. of this show. So he's, yeah. like a, he's like a vessel for those discussions and those kind of like concepts. Yeah. If you go back and, and, and watch the episode, I think it's titled Nightcrawler. Um, the genius, too, was Larry Houston and the art design on that. And it's set in a monastery, yeah, in a yeah, yeah. place where they've gone skiing, and Deer Gambit can't ski to save his life, but <laughs> they end up in the monastery. But it's, uh, it, it is, they discuss religion, it's about God, but there are no casual or blatant crosses anywhere. There is no overt use of religious symbolism or visuals it's an it's remarkable what larry was able to accomplish uh yeah. and, and not be offensive to anyone but yeah yeah nightcrawler nightcrawler is a wonderful character and this same guy is going to be a uh, it's going to be a wonder with us, by the way len yuli who the writer he, yeah he wrote but we only we had two uh episodes that basically starred guest starred nightcrawler and a third one where we saw him a little bit but len wrote wrote, wrote both of them and i thought they thought he knocked them out of the park Oh, he's going to be there at WandaCon? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for, our, for our Sunday panel, yeah. Oh, nice. I, I will be there. Well, that's right. We will be at WandaCon for three days. <laughs> right, yeah. And a panel on Sunday at 1, one o'clock. 
Yeah. It's looking like I'll be there Saturday and Sunday, so I'll get to meet you guys in person. Well, wonderful. Away. That'll Come be away. awesome. Cool. Um, only have a few more here, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Please, yeah. Awesome. So, um, I was wondering... Uh, oh, actually, before I ask this one, I have one I just thought of. A favorite episode you guys did? Oh, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, we, we mentioned it earlier. I'm just a big fan of Beauty and the Beast. because. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just the way it came together, the the way it, and and the way Stephanie Matheson uh, wrote it, and just just how it was executed, and and I love Beast, and yeah. to see him in that circumstance, and to see him, you know, find oh, and okay, so put a pin in Beauty and the Beast. Carly was the young gal that he falls in love with, and who falls in love with him. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't quote it correctly, but. Two seasons later, Larry Houston plants an Easter egg where uh, Beast has to turn to his computer and work on his keyboard. And on the monitor, there's a scotched taped picture that, of Carly and it goes, you know, love Carly. And you realize Larry's kept track of these things and he's gone back and he gives us that little Easter egg that Beast is still pining. He, put, he, will, he will eternally pine uh, for Carly. He put, he put so much care into yeah. it. Yeah, uh, Beauty and the Beast for me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think the one... I've got two that I really respect. I mean, I got seven or eight that I, I, yeah. that I like a lot. Uh, I thought the pilot was really was the Night of the Sentinels was good in that it got across to people that, that had no clue what a mutant was, what this world was, while telling a fun story, which is hard. Pilots are really hard to do. So I credit yeah, yeah. Mark Edens for that. I also thought that the uh, original Phoenix story. Uh, not, Dark Phoenix was good. I thought the original Phoenix story was probably the most. It's a five-parter, and it all hangs together, and it looks pretty spectacular. Again, the two Mark and his brother Michael did all the writing on those five episodes, and so a, th those are ones I really respect. The one that that touches me most is one I uh, that I came up with the idea for, uh, and that's One Man's Worth, with where uh, the two-parter where. It's about what would have happened if a time traveler had come back and killed Charles Xavier in college, and so there never would be in the X Men. And mm -hmm. I just thought that was such a powerful story that this is like, okay, if you never see another X Men episode, this shows you why they exist and why you know why he was this important. Of course, I ripped off the idea from it's a wonderful life and from a star trek episode city on the edge of forever uh, uh -huh. but it's 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 uh th that's that's where some of the best stories come from you take a kernel of an idea that was done well somewhere else and you translate it into something that fits in your world and this one to me just um just just the idea of it it made me you know appreciate the characters and what what Xavier had done with the, with the creation of the X Men all the more. So that that's I think my personal favorite. And I got to jump in. I love those two episodes as well. If you get a chance to go back and see them, what kills me? And again, the romantic in my soul. But oh yeah, it, it, in this in this alternate you know universe. dark universe that 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 has to be changed because otherwise we'll all be in you know Earth hell. Storm and Wolverine are married. They're a couple. Oh, yeah. They're happy. He's wearing a wedding ring. She's wearing her wedding ring. You know, they they are profoundly in love. And this is what, season four, season five, season four. Yeah, yeah. And four. watching this sort of evolve out, I go, of course they should be together. They're the perfect <laughs> couple. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you realize, 
lives, they have to go, they, ha they have to sacrifice. They have to make the choice of sacrifice to go so that we can have Charles Xavier in the correct timeline. And, and the world can be saved. But so, they so won't be together. They should be together. They yeah. should be together. Yeah, it makes yeah. so much sense. And, 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 and Wolverine says, no, I'm not going. And then Storm says, "Yeah, you got to go back." Would yeah. you would you sacrifice the entire world just to save our love? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I would. Of course, right. I would." <laughs> uh, There's nothing else. Yeah, and, and she says, "No, man, screw it. You got to go back and save the world." So, you know, give me a kiss and go. Uh, so, <laughs> so that, yeah, that was that was that was a nice way. That was a nice way into the story. It was a memorable way into the story. And a spectacular shading of characters that you've known for forty years, and then you go, "Oh my God, click! That makes so much sense." Yeah, you know, these are people that yeah. that works. That works. It works. It seems like, like there is a lot of romance in X Men. Just to go off what you were saying, I mean, I was watching this one. There's a YouTube series. What's her name? Comic Book Girl 19, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And she, I, I, you know what? I was always aware this is the thing, but I could definitely see that aspect of X Men kind of catering to the female audience you know i mean am i wrong in saying that like is like she talks about like in the comics there's a whole like uh gene and scott just kind of like having this like super romantic like epic kiss on like some rock cliffs as the waves are crashing and stuff she goes on and on about that for like five minutes straight and i was like yeah i, got for I forgot it all it had that like it's it seems like x-men's kind of ripe for that kind of stuff as well you know it, it's right for that, but but again, I, I'll take a step back to the credit of everyone involved. There was that fine line where, well, kids don't want to watch romances. Well, yeah, these yeah. are these are adult characters who have adult lives happening, and this is part and parcel of what's going to happen. Uh, and it wasn't waved in your face every week. It wasn't you know you weren't hit over the head with it. But when those relationships and emotions happened, I think they they happened organically. Yeah, know, and and to be honest, you know, we were looking. Within kids, I mean, it's hard to think about this. We weren't basically allowed to show blood, to show anybody you know, really almost ever hitting each other. We had I-beams and we had we couldn't have realistic guns. There are all these limits about the kind of adult stuff that can go on to produce drama. But you could have Wolverine getting his heart broken. Mm -hmm. And kids would get that, even if they were seven they might not get that what an old girlfriend is, but they get what their best friend dropping them was. And so yeah, yeah. all that intense emotional stuff was the way we kept the stories tight versus what we could do if it were, say, an HBO show for adults. Right, right, right. You could have people shooting each other and beating the hell out of each other and having sex and you know all this stuff going on. We had to do it through the emotions because of the, the, you know, the limits of a kid's show. But I think it made us heighten the emotions. Did, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that sounds, that sounds about right to me. So what, what about the, um, all the movies that have come out too? Uh, I was wondering, what do you guys think of that being the creators of the, of the original cartoon? Well, I've got my, my opinion is as follows. <laughs> that you've had, you know, X Men began, I think, in the mid '60s or '63. '63. So you have from '63 to '92 this rich world of comic bookness, this whole comic book universe of the X Men. And from 2000 forward, you've got this billion-dollar film franchise with what are we up nine movies now, yeah. and you know more coming. 
right billion right. dollar industry Two billion dollar them. empire yeah. yeah and i will take it to the grave that that billion dollar empire would not be there if it weren't for x-men the animated series no x-men not, the not at all. series in my yeah. opinion is the bridge yeah. between the comic books what what came from the comic books and what became the million yeah. the billion dollar franchise yeah and, and you know to, to us it's, it's really gratifying i mean we at first, when we were doing the show, we were a little nervous because we thought all the comic book guys would think, well, are are you guys going to give credit enough to the the people like Chris Claremont and John Byrne and, and Len that, that built this world? And of course we had to. We built what we did on that. Mm -hmm. But as far as Hollywood goes, as you said, no TV uh, network wanted to do the show. No studio wanted to make a movie. They never, even even after we had this number one worldwide hit, when Margaret Lesh went to the movie people and said, oh, no, at, at that studio that was making money off of our TV show, said, oh, no, we can't make movies about this. Nobody will get them. And she pushed a little bit, and they finally decided to try one, and the rest is history. But so we feel like we showed Hollywood that you could do audiovisual, you, you could do screen versions, you could do a 110-minute story of uh, uh, in you know in in real time versus the comics, which is a kind of a different a different muscle, you know, reading it off the page, and showing that it could be successful. And of course, you guys, I'm sure know that when when they made the movie, the screenwriters and the director and everybody, they didn't pick up a book; they just watched our series. That's what they right, based, right, right. That's what they based their first few movies on. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, absolutely, we that's great to us. We 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 feel really, you know, humbled by that. That, that that's what they that's what they look for. But to my mind, it makes sense because a movie is so similar to a TV show in in the, just the craft of, of the storytelling that it would probably be easier to do that. But I think we also made some pretty good decisions about where to focus in the world, what to you know what worked and what didn't and so yeah we, we feel a real connection uh, uh to the movies you'll notice that the x-men chosen for the x-men films happen to be the same x-men that were chosen for x-men the animated series pretty, <laughs> i'm just right. putting that out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty, yeah. they're pretty close pretty pretty, yeah, pretty close pretty yeah, close yeah so. yeah so yeah that's and and we and we and we enjoy the movies i mean there's oh, yeah. stuff we would have done different on some of them and some of them are wonderful and some of them have have you know have issues the fans will tell you more about that than, than we will but we're just we're just thrilled that that superheroes are now a full-fledged genre. There's like a yeah. used to be used to be two superhero movies a decade, yeah. uh, and now yeah. there's now there's seems like there's two a month, and yeah. and that's that's a new thing. And I think I think we and Batman and a couple other things got that going in the '90s, and and Hollywood hasn't looked back. Yeah, I heard a story that the the, the producers or somebody that that's the first thing they did was they gave Brian Singer all the episodes to the animated show and they're like go watch this now absolutely that was that was it that because it was the people at fox and we even we did a, did a small job later with david Hayter, who's the writer and he said it was that's exactly what it was it was they they'd be playing in the background too for for months while they were writing and rewriting and and, and casting and you know whatever that was that was where that they what they took from was, was was our show so that that you know again Great, uh, intensely gratifying, and take anything away from. I mean, look at the amazing cast they got. Oh I mean, God. if we yeah. had, you know, if 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 God came down from heaven and offered us, 
a cast based on what the characters we worked on for five years, you couldn't do much better than what they what they came up with. Nice, nice. Um, do you have a favorite of of the movies so far? I know there's been so many of them. Like, I, okay, the, uh, anyone who walked in to see the movie Logan, the recent yeah. Logan film, came yeah. in there not all not only with 17 years of Hugh Jackman being Wolverine and. Boy, was he a good Wolverine. Yeah. A little tall, a little yeah. tall. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, so you had 17 years of this, and we all brought that in with us, but you also had 25 years of it because 20 years ago is when the animated series started. And I think for, for me, Logan was such... Uh, I, I loved how it, it's, it honored the character. I loved how um, it, it, I could bring in 25 years worth of caring for this character, and, yeah. and it, it was served. Yeah, I would for for me. I think it might have been what is is uh, is last and the first one with the with the young cast. Yeah, I was I was. I mean, I don't know about the the story so the the ending so much, but the the, the I just was I, when I was writing this, the the series. I always loved trying to find out more about all the characters' history, and that's one of the reasons we liked the time travel story so much, and. Find the young cast, and I, I love Fassbender, and I love uh, oh uh, James, James McAvoy. As mm -hmm. I, I really was was taken with with getting to know them and getting to know them during the initial times when uh, so so there that and it, to me it may be it, I don't know if it's the best movie because it, it to me it may just be the fact that I had done so much research and found out so much about them at their different ages that that was it was satisfying to meet the young versions so that's that one did kind of did it for me mm -hmm. uh, yeah. awesome and i wanted to talk about the uh the intro song uh -huh. so what i mean was this the uh is this kind of what you had in mind do you know what the notes were did you have anything to do with the uh with the audio for the show because yeah, i mean yeah. that that song is iconic i remember when the first movie came out i was in high school and we were just singing the song left and right in school just waiting for the movie to come out <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah well the the, the real the story the, the two things the i think the opening title sequence the one minute is beautifully done. Larry yeah. Houston and Will Minio did that. They did that like with one small revision. They were just told, look, quick, get, acquaint the people with all these characters. Uh, and, uh, and, and they made they, the, the images they came up with were, were great. It was going to be, there was talk about Stan Lee being on camera, uh, A, narrating the show, and B, explaining who everybody was. Which would have been a little strange with a lot, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. That said, there was that, and then there was the, then there was the music, and that came the person most. I mean, the composer's name is Ron Wasserman. He doesn't often get credit. This poor guy, in the course of a couple months, wrote that, and then wrote the the Power Rangers theme. So this guy's in oh, more shit. heads. That yeah. guy's a genius. And yeah. Of course, of course, it's just a Saban show. Saban, and it was work for hire. It was work so. for hire. Saban or one of his lieutenants took the credit for it. But the actual composer's name is Ron Wasserman. And the person that pushed him, the people that pushed him to make that thing as intense as it is, because that was like take 25. That was one that, you know, he turned something in and the guy said, no, it's not. 
it's not fast enough. Turn something in, no, it's not hard rock enough. Turn something in, and he just wanted to kill him. Yeah. But <laughs> Sidney Eyewater, who was the, who was the Fox guy and hands on, this guy was hands on with uh, X Men, Batman, The Tick, Spider Man, Beetlejuice. He was the nine year old boy that made all those shows. That who who was the boss for all the staffs on all those shows. He kept on pushing it to become more intense. And Will Minio, the, the, our producer designer, kept on pushing it to be more intense. And what Sydney Sydney was telling us is, look, we need X-Men to be fast-paced. It doesn't look as beautiful as Batman. Will was saying the same thing. And Sydney said, Batman is slow jazz. You can linger over how beautiful the animation is. <laughs> X-Men's going to come back choppy. We've got to make this into a garage band. This uh. is the, yeah, So that's what those two guys made the composer do that. I, I didn't I, I didn't have a say in it until I saw it. I saw it. It's perfect. So so I can take no credit. But those two those two men uh, pushed the composer into getting you that that's that song. It's like you were you were you talked about being worried that the pilot was gonna take off. I think if you just had that song and that opening sequence, it would have sold anything, really. I mean, that was such an awesome intro. Mm -hmm. And especially realizing that there was tremendous fear that unless you happen to be an X-Men comic book fan already, you weren't going to know who any of these characters were and you're going to yeah. be left lost and you weren't going to pay attention or tune back yeah. in. Yeah. And that it, it is, it's a, a masterclass in, in character uh, development and uh, exposition and with no words, you know, that you, you identify each character, you see what they can do, you see what the problems are, boom, 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 boom. You get their personality, you get yeah. their you get their heart out of the out of the title sequence. It's amazing. I give those guys all the credit. Yeah, that was I, I love it. I love that intro, man. Um so uh you guys have worked on all kinds of stuff, uh, such as Spiral Zone and Exo Squad and um Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers and all kinds of things. Tailspin, Darkwing Duck. Um, yep. I was wondering, so what are what what are like so you guys both said X-Men's your number one. So what would be number two for you guys? Oh god. Well, Eric and I met at Disney TV Animation when we were working when I got my very first job and was working on Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. So in a way, anything off the Disney afternoon for me, uh, including yeah. Goof Troop and uh, Darkwing Duck and all those, it just it was a very fine time, a very fun time. Yeah, yeah, she, she, she ended up writing 14, more, that, more, more Rescue Rangers than any other writer at Disney. So she, she oh, had nice. a hand on that. Um, gee, out of all, this, all the stuff we've done. Can I say a tick? Yeah, 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 I had a, it's, it's not credited, but the first three or four passes on the pilot's episode for the tick, uh, where the original I, animated series, the animated series, uh, I wrote those from stuff that Ben from Ben Edlin's comics. Now they cool. then uh, Fox that because Margaret, the people at Fox who had done X Men Four, said we have this astounding new, this really funny new, wonderful new comic that we're going to adapt. But the people involved have never worked in TV before. Can you help us with the pilot? And so that was something that again, not accredited thing that I had, but it, it was just so much fun uh, learning that world and, and, and helping get the pilot script right. So that, that's, that's what, Extra Squad was a, was a big one. Extra Squad was, this is a weird thing we were talking about. We, as I said, all of us creative people were let go uh, like three months before the show came out while we were waiting for the animation to be finished. And so in the meantime, to, you know, to pay the rent, 
uh, we took another show and the two main writers on X-Men and I uh, set up Exosquad, Mark and Michael Edens, and they continued for uh, all 52, but I was I was on the first season of that. So that was that was a good, Julie and I, Mummy's Alive was one we did. That, oh, that, I enjoyed that, that very much. Um, we, she and I did Street Fighter, which I don't think we had quite the handle on that we did on X-Men. There's just, you know, sometimes where, you know, you, you take a, a property and, you know, they're just, you don't come up with a, as much cool stuff as you, you think you might have, but yeah. that was that was a good that was a good experience. And we just it, finished it, working on a show that's uh, hopefully called Dream Defenders, which was a three D production that's out of Singapore and is hopefully going to be making its way through China soon. And that'll be exciting. It's to see it's, it's on Amazon or Hulu. It's on a couple of those places. But but uh, yeah, after after X Men, I'd say. Uh, for, for a full series, uh, Exo Squad was 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 the one that that I that I remember most fondly. Yeah, the guy that I was telling you before we started uh, uh, recording, he uh, the guy that lives in Lithuania now, Johnson. He's a he's a co-host, but he's not on that much anymore. But uh, he he loved Exo Squad, and I've talked with some other people too, and it, it seems like that definitely does have its. Uh, like it, like it definitely has a fan base. There's definitely a, a cult fan base there, and I think there probably is room for for that for that to uh, maybe be rebooted at some point. That would be that'd be cool. I think. I don't think you're alone in that. I guarantee yeah, yeah. you're not alone. Yeah. In that. <laughs> I just tell Universal to to make the movie. I'll be I'll be happy to to be with a, an advisor. We we only recently found out that because this just shows you that it's it, stuff happens behind the scenes that if you just turn on your TV you have no idea. But uh, Exo Squad really is a remarkable series. But mm -hmm. Universal Studios at that time didn't have a distribution situation in place to to get Exo Squad on the air. Yeah, they just kind of said, okay, let's do the show, and it's oh by the way, should we call to find some time slots for that? That's what <laughs> that's one that's what and so it showed at four in the morning places. It was terrible. Uh, college students with 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 recorders with CRs uh, uh, got into it, but almost no kid from that time got into it because it never played any time there was a child, you know, watching television. And that was we th that shows you you could have a hundred things go right, and one person is just out of step. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to find you a time slot for this? Boom, you know, nobody nobody sees it. And yeah, we we're, we're real proud of it. It's just it uh again it, it didn't have the comic book background but that oh well, it, well, okay. it almost there was a time where it looked like it was going to be uh uh if they'd called earlier uh. or if they had a better person involved uh uh will minio who designed both shows x-men and Exo squad called up fox and said can you i've got this great new show i'm i'm designing for universal can you put it on right after x-men on saturday morning and People were up for it, and then some just somebody universal said, "Nah." Well, and someone at Fox wow. didn't own the rights to it. So, yeah, no. so so there's one of, one of these opportunities that it could have been as well known as X Men, mm. but just one random guy, you know, dropped the ball or didn't make the phone call or you know who knows. But yeah, yeah. I remember it had it had a Sega Genesis game as well. Maybe it was on Super Nintendo too. But it seems like it kind of came and went pretty fast. Oh yeah, yeah, it really did. It, it, we we basically we wrote the 52 episodes and then just boom, it's gone and and it you know played a little bit and uh, I don't even think all fifty two are out on DVD. So we have oh, man. on our wall, but yeah. 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 <laughs> oh well. So it was just one last question from me, and maybe Stefan has one after that. But uh, 
I was just wondering, like, do you have any dream, dream projects you'd like to do? Are there any, are there any animated shows or characters that you think had never really been done justice? Um, or, uh, yeah, this is kind of like a com combination question. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let me, okay. Yeah, Not that it, I was, I so enjoyed the tick in its original iteration. And then I very much enjoyed it with Patrick Warburton and the live action. Uh, when that came out, and and I'm very much enjoying the tick on Amazon right now. Yeah. I, it's, it's a different take on it, but I'm I'm very yeah. much enjoying that. <laughs> um, as far as what would be fun to tackle, boy, we usually we don't usually have that luxury because you know we kind of come in as as work for hire, and someone already has the project up and running. Uh, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I to to, to be honest, uh, you know, we all have we have favorite movies and favorite books. But I wish I wish you were a guy with money so that you were asking the question, like, hey, is there a show you want to do? And then we can give it some really serious thought. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we just got into this frame of mind that we've uh, been at this over 30 some years and we tend to find ourselves being called in oftentimes at the last minute, just like with everything. Um, 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 can you make this world work for us? And so we're, we tend to be, you know, oh yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll do it, and we still make it personal, but and we have some, you know, original stuff that we've written that we would hope to sell one day, but that uh, you guys probably would know. But it, it's, it, it's not. There's no, I to be honest. There's, I don't have some. Neither one of us has something, you know, burning in our hand that that we've been trying to get on the air, like Margaret did with X Men. There's, there's not a, there, there, there's not a property. There's not a book or a comic or a or a, or a movie adaptation, or, or even an original idea that that that's that's burning in my pocket. What if we brought back Young Ryan Gosling on Young Hercules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She 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 got she got to hug him twice when he was eighteen. So. Oh wow! Just a great young guy. Yeah, incredibly yeah. talented. Even then, you just know he's got it. But yeah, so we've had we've had some tremendous opportunities and a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. But that kind of brings us back around to what we're doing right now, which is um, talking to folks about uh, the book that you completed. Yeah, just that came was out my over. next question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, well, yeah, it's it was Julia pointed out that look, if if we don't do this, you know, uh, X Men rights have been split up for forever uh, since the nineties. Since it, the show. Since the show, uh, and you know, Fox has some, and Marvel Disney has some, and so they they've kind of been let languish in the comics. And and we were looking around about the 20th anniversary of the show, and nobody was doing anything to celebrate it. We thought, well, is, is Fox going to do something? Is Marvel going to do something? And, nah, you know. Uh, and so we kind of figured we had to do it our, our, by our, on our own. And she said, "Look, you've got we've got all the scripts and all the memos and all the uh, the storyboards and and everything that that went into making the show." Up we had the advantage; it was all paper, and we kept it in boxes. <laughs> in boxes up above the garage. Um, and, uh, so, so look, we, and we know most everybody that worked on it, the writers, artists, although we didn't, we didn't know the, the, the cast. So we'll start interviewing, you know, write write down the history and start interviewing people. And I'd been involved since the first day. So, so I knew pretty much the story. And so, uh, I did it and, uh, it's not, uh, I mean, it's, it's, interviewed 36 people you know cast and, and executives buddy the artists a uh, lot a lot of 
artwork in there from storyboards and from promotional materials. Over 450 pages. Yeah, and and found a, a really nice California publisher that specializes in in pop culture books, including like six Star Trek books. Yeah. Uh, to to publish it, and it's been selling pretty well since November, and uh, we're going to cons with it. And it's available on Amazon or through the publisher Jacobs Brown. Um, uh, and it's as you guys called it, it's called previously on X Men for all the reasons we talked about that. You know, we we, uh, it, it, we we did a show that was connected, and and it's actually kind of looking back. And that way, if you remember watching the show, that was the first thing you always heard previously on X Men. Yeah, right. it was like it was like your space, the final frontier. It was the yeah. The, yeah. The, the words that led you into the show. So that's why we call. At first, the publisher said, "What are you doing? How, what are you calling it that for?" And I said, "You guys aren't fans. Fans will get this. Trust us." So yeah, yeah. Also, um, a real, a genuine effort has been made to sort of explain how a series, how an animated series, how it goes from uh, original concept all the way through to um, production and on the air. It's it's kind of got that backstory to it as well. Um, so, folks who are interested in how TV gets put together, this book has got that. Those who are interested in the history of X Men animated series, it's got that. Uh, it's got all kinds of things. It's been really great. A lot of what you have written in those cartoons has informed the perspective that I've carried throughout my entire life since then, obviously. But um, that was like, it was a big thing for my family to sit Saturday morning to watch that. My mother would be just as astounded at the storytelling as we were. And, you know, that air of intellectualism that it, these episodes had, as you were saying about Beast and everything, like those small tidbits, I think, went a long way. Uh, for for myself and probably a lot of kids like me. So thanks again. Goodness. Well, thank you. That, it means so much for us to, to hear yeah. this because we've been. Yeah. We, 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 we work alone in an office, and so <laughs> we, 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 we don't interact with the the people we write for very much. So it's it's, yeah. it's, it's wonderful it's, to hear. Yeah, we'll be sure to pass it along then. Thank yeah. <laughs> yes, we should. thank you. Thank you both so much. All right. Thank awesome. you. All right, everybody. That was Eric Leewald and Julia Leewald. As you probably could gather from the intro that I uh, wrote out and everything, uh, and the whole uh, interview, really, it was, you know, very, very important show for me and for the rest of Superhouse. And um, it's like talking to your heroes in a way. I mean, these guys wrote the show that we love so much. I mean, for our generation, you look back on that time period, and really, there's only two shows that stand out the most, and, and that's X-Men, the animated series, and Batman, the animated series. So anyway, we wanted to promote their book, which, as they talked about, they talked about uh, briefly in it, but it's called Previously on X-Men, The Making of an Animated Series. And in this book, they go over, they interview 36 of the artists, writers, voice cast, and executives that helped make the series, and... Um, if you guys could check it out, it's um, it's being sold on Amazon right now. The uh, Kindle version is only nineteen ninety five, and the hardcore the hardcover version is thirty four ninety five, and the paperback <laughs> version is also thirty four ninety five. So uh, if you guys could check it out there, that'd be cool. They're also going to be at WonderCon this weekend. If you guys are going to be in uh, Southern California, and they got a panel on Sunday evening, I think Sunday later in the day at WonderCon, and they're going to be going over the book at that point as well. I uh, can't wait to listen to the uh, this episode. 
Dude, it, it was a great one. <laughs> yeah. I, I bet it was. I hate that I had to miss it. It's such nice Speaking work. Yeah, well, this, it's life, bro. But, um, yeah, thanks again, uh, Eric and Julia Leewald. This has been one of my favorite episodes that we have done, and I look forward to doing many more. And anyway, this is Andrew signing off. And this is Stefan signing off. This is Maddie. Bye. Each generation has cried out for a new world. But has built the same old one, corrupt and weak. I will purge the earth of these benighted humans. Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on. We are basically on all social media. <laughs> yeah, all social media. Mainly Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Check out the links in the description. We have a lot of uh, cool goals uh, set up on our Patreon. Like if you donate a dollar you'll be able to uh, give us a topic for us to talk about. And we'll talk about for maybe an hour or more. Who knows how long it'll take. And that's pretty tight. (laughs) That's the coolest thing. (laughs) Wait, we're on the internet? That's pretty good. (laughs) And we can make money. (laughs) What? (laughs) If you donate $1,000, you get full frontal nudes. We haven't set that up, but it's a possibility. (laughs) You give us a grant, who knows what will happen. Check us out. I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh-huh. You get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'll give you Joey for a weekend. For $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> Superhouse Gigolo Project. 2018. <laughs> Links in the description. <laughs>